The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. It is a, a beautiful thing to see all of you to be in the same room, to be drinking coffee together. Um, does anybody ever, like me, take a sip of coffee every now and then and just think, like, who was the first one that thought this up? Like, forever. They were like trying to cook these beans and they like, they don't taste good. And some guy was just like, what if we grind them up and pour hot water over them, right? And, and you'll, it'll taste amazing and you'll feel better. Um, anybody else drinking way too much coffee post pandemic? Like, they say you're, they're all out of studies saying you're drinking way too much alcohol, but I know for sure. And then I bought one of these ridiculous mugs that costs literally $100 that Sean said would change your life. And the way it's changed my life is that I was already drinking too much coffee and now I'm drinking twice as much coffee as before because it keeps it hot all the time. Uh, we have an advertisement with Ember and if you would like, Ecclesia gets a small donation. We don't, we don't really, I'm just, just kidding. Um, have you ever felt like you were in a place at life um, that things just shifted on you instantly? Like you, you felt like life was going in one direction and all of a sudden it took a totally different kind of a turn. I'll, I'll never forget, it was like probably 15 years ago, I got invited to what I think was probably my favorite speaking gig of all times. I have a friend, Leonard Sweet, uh, who's a theologian, he was a former seminary president, but he chose to live a radically different life and he bought a massive place up in the San Juan Islands. If you've never been up there in Washington State, I think it may be one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And he bought a place on Orcas Island, which is literally from Peter Pan, like they based Neverland on Orcas Island. And, uh, and so he invited me to come and speak at this retreat that he hosts at his place. And it's brilliant people. And we talk about God and what's happening in the world. And he literally, he's like, I'll pay you money to come stay here. And we would do what I would love to do at any day, eat food and talk about God all day. And then literally at night, I, I would get in the hot tub outside of my little, you know, um, cabin or whatever. And I'd sit in the hot tub with a glass of wine and literally pods of whales would swim by and spew as if to say like, God loves you so much. You would, you would just sit there in awe of, I can't believe I'm here. And, and I literally, I remember taking the trip back and I brought the family on this trip and my kids had behaved beautifully and we're on our way back and I get the upgrade to first class on United for free. And I'm just like, my life is so good. And I eat a great meal and then when I finish it, my, at that point, young son Solomon, which now he's 18 and he's not cuddly like that anymore. He's actually just restored a motorcycle. Pray for his safety. That's the main thing at 18. Just like, please God, keep him safe. But that kid at that point was really cuddly and I finished my meal and he curled up on me and I'll never forget, if you've got kids this age, just enjoy it. Like he fell asleep on me in a way that only they do at that, where he just curled into every crevice of you, right? And just as he fell asleep, the flight attendant brought me an ice cream sundae and I was like, God is real. Like, this is like, this is the life I was made for. And, um, and I, mean, I kid you not, it didn't take us landing and I get to Intercontinental Airport and there's a flat 
tire on the car and it's the middle of the night and kids are fussy and I had to get up the next morning for an early flight to LA. I slept for a couple of hours. I turned around, got back to the airport and this time they didn't greet me with a first class seat. They put me in 34B, which is like the back row that doesn't lean back. And I kid you not, I walk up and there are two of the largest men on the planet on both sides of me. And we had not taken off yet and my jeans were wet with the sweat of this guy. <laughs> and I'm trying to be a Christian and think like positive thoughts. Like, so I'm like, well, at least the other guy's not sweating on me. And I promise you, as the thought came into my mind, he was reading the USA Today like this. As it came into mind, a drop of sweat fell from his armpit to my arm. And I thought, this is what hell is like. Like this is, <laughs> hell is 34B. I, I only hoped that when the movie came on, I would be able to just focus on the movie and turn off a focus on the flesh of these two men touching me. And the movie comes up and it's Chicken Frickin' Little. Like, nobody gets lost in Chicken Little. Like, there's no story to get lost in. And, and maybe your life has taken some turns like that, but in more dramatic ways that you just feel like you thought your life was headed this way, and, and it wasn't. And, um, and maybe you're like me, you, you face some things you just never thought you would face. And I'm an Enneagram eight, if you know anything about us, we just like, we do hard things. Like I just, I never thought there was something that I couldn't like get through or fix. And you find you can't. And you learn that your story's taking a detour. But as we look today at the story of Joseph, we learn that the detours, they're, they're not always really bad, that life may not meet up to our expectations and reality is different, but that God's still up to something, right? And so where we pick up with Joseph, you were with us two weeks ago and then Sean picked up last week, is, is that Joseph has gone from this place that he had a wealthy father who was building an empire, who had a lot of sons, and he was the favorite. And he was given the best gifts. And he kind of knew intuitively he was awesome. He just like, I don't know why, but I just think I'm awesome. Even in my dreams, I dream about how awesome I am. Anybody do that here? Maybe you did for a while and then you learned you weren't as awesome as you thought you were and you no longer dream that way, right? And, but Joseph was just like, I, I, I got a great life ahead of me. He had these huge expectations. And the next thing he knows, his brothers hate him so much, they almost kill him. They throw him into a bottom, bottom of a well and then he's trafficked. He's sold to other people as a slave. And where we pick up today is he's on his way into Egypt, this massive city where slaves historically have just been slaves. They just, they worked their tail off as labor and the Egyptian economy historically thrived because they had a lot of slaves. Now, I read Joseph's story and maybe you're like me. I read it and I'm like, I had some things in my life that kind of sucked, but I, I hadn't been human trafficked as a slave, right? And I had like... I've faced hard things that are not quite that hard. And maybe there are a few of you here that are like, yeah, I've faced harder things than Joseph. Like, I've been through some hard, hard things. Things that maybe didn't just feel impossible. They really, they were impossible. And I wanna invite you into a story today that I believe offers hope for everyone. And in the midst of it, what I want you to be able to do is look at your own story, but also imagine the pain and suffering of others. And one of the things I've learned um, and my journey is that what I need and what you need, probably the, the biggest antidote for a lot of the problems in the world is empathy. If we can just empathize with the path of others, and yet it's hard to empathize when we're afraid and we're worried about our own things. And I wanted to share with you briefly a, um, uh, a quote from my friend David Myers. And part of what I'm, I'm inviting you to learn today 
um, is that Joseph, in the midst of, he could have blamed his brothers forever, right? If anybody sells you, you kind of get to blame them forever, it feels like, right? And just, like, you're the victim. He just refused. Margaret Atwood said it this way, and I think this is what Joseph lived by. He's, she said, this above all, refuse to refuse to be a victim. Unless I can do that, I can do nothing, right? Once we get caught in that victim trap, it just goes on and on and on. It just never ends, and so a part of that journey is really embracing true empathy. And I wanted to share with you, I was going to put it on the screen, but I'd like you to hear it, maybe even with your eyes closed and maybe your hands open. And it was just, my friend David wrote this this week, and he used to be a pastor and he played in a rock band and now he's a fireman and he's just an all around great guy. And he's inviting you to empathize with people maybe that you hadn't thought of. And this is what David says. You can open your hands and just say, God, whoever you want me to empathize with today. He says this, he says, you'll, you'll never fully understand until it's your father who dies from cancer way too early. Until you've grown up in abject poverty. Until your teenage daughter tells you she's pregnant. Until your gay son ends his life because he's terrified to tell you. Until it's your innocent brother or sister of color who's shot and killed. Until you've lost your best friends in an active war zone. Until you've numbed and medicated yourself long enough to actually escape your own demons. Until your loneliness gets the better of you. Until it's your wife who leaves. Until your child is gunned down in the classroom until everything you've given your life for is taken away, until the bullies come for you, until it's you that goes bankrupt, until you're heartbroken. Perhaps, David says, we don't know as much as we think we do. More humility, not less. Better listeners, less talkers. Less reactionary, more contemplative. Because my journey isn't yours and yours isn't mine. So maybe, just maybe, if we open our hearts and minds, we have something to teach one another. These things have an innate ability to recognize our way of thinking. We all, David says, have a story to tell. Amen. My hope and prayer is that you'd see a bit of your story and Joseph's story today. And that Joseph's story would infuse your story with a hope that maybe you didn't have. And maybe a little more empathy as well for some folks that may be struggling. I'm astonished by Joseph's ability to go through what he's been through at this point in the story and choose not to be the victim. This is where we pick up with Joseph in Genesis 39. It tells us that Joseph had been taken to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of the Pharaoh and a captain of the guard, himself an Egyptian, and he bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there to sell along with their goods and wares. Joseph now is property. The eternal one was with Joseph, however, and he became successful in his own right as a slave within the house of his Egyptian master. Now, how do you become successful as a slave? It, likely as a slave, and typically in Egypt, you were given the most menial tasks 
ever. And part of what I love about this story and what you're about to hear is Joseph works his way up. And the way he works his way up is that whatever task he's given, he just excels at it. That there's literally, and I've learned, and this part, by the way, I'm going to do a Houston brag for a minute. It's part of the reason I love this city is that I regularly meet people that are important and successful and they'll meet with anybody and they don't think they're better than anybody else. And on a regular basis, I find them literally in our church, like CEOs of companies sitting down in the childcare space with a kid reading them a story on the floor, right? And I think there's nothing more beautiful. And by the way, we desperately need CEOs or non-CEOs to sit on the floor and read stories to the kids. So post-pandemic, we need those volunteers more than ever. And I got to tell you, it's one of the best things you can do. Just Joseph lived with this attitude. There is no job too menial for me. I'll do whatever. And what we find is Joseph excels at it. Everything he does, he does well. So Potiphar could not help but notice that Joseph did everything well, that the eternal one was with Joseph and caused everything Joseph did to prosper. So Joseph became the favorite of the household and he rose in the ranks to become Potiphar's personal attendant. Now you've got to know, this is not what happens with Egyptian slaves. But in time, Potiphar made Joseph overseer the entire household and put him in charge of everything he owned. Again, not something that happened with Egyptian slaves. And it tells us from that moment, the eternal one blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, a blessing which seemed to cover everything Potiphar possessed from house to field. Potiphar entrusted everything, his life, his household, his investments, all of it, to the care of Joseph. With him in charge, I think this is one of the most interesting lines in scripture, by the way. Potiphar had no concern about anything except for his private affairs, such as the food he chose to eat. Can you imagine waking up every day and going, my hardest decision today is breakfast? Like, like what shall I, like you have got, if the only thing you have to worry about is what you're gonna eat, like you've got a great life, right? And you can likely eat whatever you want, right? I would love for that to be my most meaningful decision every day. Joseph rose to such a place that Potiphar literally did not worry about a thing. And what I'm amazed about when I hear the story is that I project myself into it and I know my tendency. And then I, I wonder, like, if I was Joseph and I was a slave, would I have spent most of my time, like, being the victim and being angry at my brothers? and just still been trapped in the same place. And so I've had to learn, and likely you have as well, like how do I avoid this victim cycle that just keeps me in an awful place? And so I was trying hard to be a really good pastor and come up with three things to help you not stay a victim and be in the victim cycle, and I couldn't do it, so I've got eight, so I'm just gonna read them fast. So I got eight, so here they are. If you want to be like Joseph and not be trapped in this victim cycle, here's a few things to start with. One, take ownership of your own action, responsibility for what you've done, for what you want, for what you need, for the things you say yes to, the things you say no to. To keep looking forward. If you've been in a toxic relationship, if you've been through trauma, one of the tendencies is just to often like go back to that place, read old letters and text messages and just like, wasn't that awful? And just, just put your, learn from the past, move forward. Do this, practice saying no. One of the ways we stay a victim is we just say yes to everything. And we have to say, you know what? No, I, my self-care is more important. Uh, my, my spiritual health is more important. I'm just gonna say no. And then every time you hear yourself start to blame, just stop blaming. 
correct yourself. If you, if you have that tendency to say, well, that's their fault. Like it may be partly their fault, but Joseph still had to deal with like, they shouldn't have trafficked me probably, but I was a jerk. Like, like I, I shouldn't have been thrown in the well, but I was, I was kind of pretty self unaware of how I came off. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to learn from it. Then this is a hard one, hard one, but important one. See the ways that you overreact, maybe because of triggers from your past and, and try to fix them, right? So I've had times, right, where I, I have this response and I realize like, that's not actually appropriate for this situation and maybe something else was going on. Can't you imagine that Joseph at one point was in a place where a bunch of people came to him and said, hey, Joseph, let's go have tea or coffee or something. And that's how Joseph's brothers like lured him into trapping him and throwing him in the well. And he thinks they're like gonna throw him in a well. And he's like, they're like, no, we just came to have coffee or tea with you. Like, don't freak out. Like, it's just a normal thing. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself in the way that you wanna be kind to others. This is a big one. Just turn your focus to helping others. It, you literally, it's so hard to be obsessed with your own problems and be a victim when you see the problems around you. Be a mentor, serve, get out, do simple feasts in the afternoon on a Sunday. Just spend time loving and serving other people. And then do this, just practice gratitude. I gotta tell you, if you wanna be attractive to friends and people and neighbors, and you know what's attractive? Gratitude. People that when you do something, they're really grateful. People that live a life of gratitude, you just, you're gonna realize you're drawn to them. If you're grateful, people are drawn to you. You know what people repel other people? Entitled people, right? The opposite. If you come into a restaurant and you're like, you see how people treat other people at a restaurant and you know like, do I wanna be their friend or not be their friend, right? And so if we wanna avoid the victim cycle, that's the three things that I turned into eight to not to not do. Joseph learned, and there was this sense, right? Like the old LL Cool J song, the, the like, don't call it a comeback, I've been here for years, right? He's like, hey, I, I may have some ups and downs, but I find a way back to the top. It goes on in Genesis and tells us this. But Joseph also, it notes, was well-built, and he was a good-looking young man. And after a while, his master's wife began watching him. And she tried to seduce him. Potiphar's wife came and said, come sleep with me. But Joseph refused. Joseph said to Potiphar's wife, look, please don't take offense. But with me in charge, my master has no concerns for anything that goes on his house. He's trusted me with everything he has. And he explains, he hasn't treated me like, like I'm any less than he is. Now, if you manage people, it's a good thing to know, right? Why was Joseph loyal to him? In part, because he was gonna do the right thing, in part because he knew how he was treated. And he hasn't kept anything from me, except of course, for you, because you're his wife. Why would I do something so clearly wrong and sinful and so blatantly against God? Like, why would I do that? Now, most of the sermons I've listened to, and just so you know, as I grew up, I just, I heard a bunch of sermons on this, and they were all about sexual temptation. And if you're in a place of sexual temptation, this might be a passage you can learn something from, but I don't think it's what the text is actually about. I don't actually read anything here that tells me Joseph was actually tempted by this situation. It just tells me Joseph was committed in whatever way to do the right thing. He was going to do, and it's one of the best things we can learn. If we'll live a life where we just do the next right thing. 
you're supposed to pay your taxes, you pay your taxes. You're supposed to do your job, you do your job. If you come across things on the street, that whether you put them there or not, you just pick them up because it's just part of what we do in a world where we're grown-ups and we care about other people. And Joseph was just going to, whatever it was, I think all those sermons growing up, I grew up in a church that was just sexually repressed, which meant ultimately sex was the subtext of everything, right? It was really about everything. And so I don't think that's really what this passage is about, although that was the thing in front of Joseph. And Joseph did the right thing. And it goes on to tell us that although she pursued him day after day, Joseph would not consent to sleep with her and he refused to be alone with her. And then one day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, while no one else was in the house, she grabbed him by his clothes and tried again to seduce him. And Potiphar's wife said to him, come on, sleep with me. But Joseph ran away from her as far and as fast as he could, leaving her holding his clothes in her hand. And when she realized he rejected her again and she had clothes in her hand, she called out to the other servants of her household. And Potiphar's wife said, see here, my husband brought this Hebrew into our house to take advantage of us. He came to me and wanted to sleep with me. I screamed as loudly as I could. And when he heard me yell, he dropped his clothes here beside me and he ran outside. She kept Joseph's clothes beside her until her husband came home. And then she told him the same story. And as you can imagine, she tells him this Hebrew servant did this when I screamed as loudly as I could, he dropped his clothes here beside me and ran outside. And his response was typical. When Potiphar heard his wife's account, his face flushed with anger. So Potiphar, Joseph's master, put him into prison and locked him up in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now think about it for a minute. You're Joseph. You've gone from the well to slavery. You've worked your way to the top and it's all blown again and you're back in jail. Now, some of us are like, I'm capable of bouncing back from being a victim once, but twice? If I was Joseph, this is the point, like, well, now I'm in jail. There's nothing I can do here. Now, now I'm finally going to have a pity party, right? And maybe you're like me. You're like, I, I can see that tendency in myself, right? And, and by the way, Joseph is not the first person or the last person to be in jail and that's falsely accused, right? There, there are people in jail right, that, just, that didn't do anything. And I can imagine it would get in my head. But what we know in the story is that Joseph just kept being who he was. It tells us Joseph remained there for a time, but the eternal one remained with Joseph and he showed him his loyal love and granted him favor and status with the chief jailer. The jailer put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were confined there. It literally, there's this, phrase in our culture called the inmates running the asylum, right? Where, like, Joseph was that. This thing that we think is insane, Joseph was so responsible, did the right thing, he started to run the jail where he was a prisoner. And it said, whatever needed to be done, Joseph was the one to do it. The chief jailer like Potiphar, didn't need to worry about anything that was in Joseph's care because the eternal one was with him. And whatever Joseph did worked out well because the eternal one made it so. Now I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, I, I hear this story and I think I've got to learn 
from what, where Joseph was. And one of the things I learned from it, what the scripture makes clear when we think about Joseph's success, part of it was Joseph refused to be the victim. But part of it was clearly Joseph also knew that God's hand was with him. Now, I got to tell you today, there's a few things we can draw from this story. But one is that you need to know that God has also gifted you uniquely and that God is ever present with you. One of the things that's different for us than it was for Joseph is that God is not only present with us, he's present with us in a way that is so unique in history. It's different than what Joseph experienced. And that what we read in the Gospel of John, and that it's one of my favorite Gospels in part because we get this very personal response to Jesus. And what we know in the Gospel of John is the disciples started hearing Jesus say things over and over like, I'm going to a place that I can't take you. I'm gonna prepare a place for you, but you can't go there yet. And I'm no longer gonna be with you. And the disciples started to freak out, right? Because they knew what it was like to have Jesus with you. And then Jesus explains, I'm going to be with you in a different way. And it's actually better because I'm going to send my spirit and my spirit's not going to dwell outside of you, but within you. And you need to know that whatever hard thing you face, whatever broken relationship, whatever crisis at work, whatever financial disaster, whatever conflict that you think you can't resolve, that the God of heaven and earth is not only with you, the God of heaven and earth is in you. And that we have also learned through Christ and his suffering that suffering actually leads to the place that God wants to take us. And that Jesus suffered on our behalf and that whatever suffering we might bear, God actually is gonna bring about an ending in it that is more beautiful than the expectation we originally had. And so I want to invite you as we come to communion to join me in laying down some of your failed expectations and instead embracing the fact that God might have a plan for you that's even better than that. And as we come to communion today, that we would each be people that just say, I'm going to acknowledge that I'm beloved by God and that my story has not ended yet. And that whatever steps that God is longing to lead me through, it, it might be really amazing. In fact, my suggestion to you and my belief for you is that God's up to something really beautiful in the life of each and every one of us. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.